some of you are old enough to remember a type of movie called musicals. And those old musicals would always talk about love in the spring. And there were all kinds of songs about love being in the air. And today, of all days, with it being Mother's Day, and we've been talking about it through the service, love is indeed all around us. But the truth is, it's not just in spring, it's not just on Mother's Day. We all need love. When we don't have it, we feel that. It can scar us because we need love. We need people who love us. And the truth is we need people to turn around and love in return. And that interchange of love in both directions is very important to who we are, to our own emotional and even mental health. Paul would agree with us. I scheduled today because I saw it as a way that we could do the last passage on marriage. And if you're visiting, we've been looking at the three key passages in marriage in the Bible. And as I was looking at those three passages, 1 Corinthians 13 needed to be in that list. But I thought, what a perfect passage to wait for Mother's Day. Because we could use that passage in, in two different ways that in some ways are so similar because mothers are all about love as marriage also desperately needs love. Paul would agree with us in how important love is. If you want to keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to come back to it, but he begins in the first three verses just stressing how important love is. Really three paragraphs here. First of all, what, what I can do, if I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I can have the ability to speak with a spiritual ability, but if I don't have love, I'm just noise. And then second of all, if I have the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all mysteries and I have all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains, if I have all of those spiritual strengths, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And finally, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I can do all these spiritual good deeds but if I don't have love, it doesn't matter. Oh, we use the term love all the time. And you might even say, Jim, why do we need another sermon on love? The problem is I would describe love as elusive today. It's hard to find. It's harder to keep. It's even confusing to talk about. What are we talking about when we talk about love? We use the term all the time, but I think there's a lot of confusion, a lot of different meanings that we associate with that term, love. Are we talking about an emotion? Uh, uh, some feeling that grabs me? Is that what love is? A feeling that may be here this week and could be gone next week. Is love an emotion? 
Or is love some physical attraction? Is it some kind of chemistry where I want him and she wants me? Is that what love is? I think we would see that portrayal to us a lot in our media. Is is love a relationship? You like me, I like you. We enjoy each other together. There's benefits both ways for us. We have a lot of things in common and we call that love. The problem is that all three of those understandings of love can tend to break down over time and as we face challenges around us. Paul shows us in the rest of chapter 13 that he understands what real love is. The love that makes all the difference in the world. Whether that is for a marriage or that is a home and what mom is showing everyone in that home. Paul talks about a very special kind of love and he raises the bar. I'll be very honest with you. He raises the bar for us on what love is. But he does that because it is only this kind of love that can make that marriage something that God says, this is very good. Only this kind of love is what really knits a home together as that mom shows this love to everyone who lives there. Some of you know this, but some of you may not, and I want all of you to capture this concept. So be patient with me. I need to talk Greek for just a little bit. In our English language, we have one word for love, L-O-V-E, love, and that's pretty much it. And it can mean a whole lot of things, as I've just said. We can use it to refer to emotions and physical desire and friendship and all kinds of things. Greek did not do it that way. The Greek language, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, what Paul used, the Greek language had three different words for love. They wanted to be more precise about what they were talking about. One of those, and I I want you to understand because Paul very specifically uses one of those Greek words and he does so intentionally because he wants us to understand exactly what he meant when he said love. The first Greek word is sarx. And it's a word that speaks of a physical desire. Physical pleasure. And that was a form of love. In any culture, the ancient Greek culture today, physical desire can be called love. But that's what sarx meant. The second word for love that the Greek language had was phileo. Phileo was a kind of friendship. A mutual love. We enjoy each other's company. We enjoy time together. We are friends. It is phileo that gives us names like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, friendship. We need that love, phileo. But the Greek had a third word for love, and we use it in songs. We talk about it in churches, whether we understand it clearly or not, and that is agape. An agape love was a love that went way beyond sarks and way beyond phileo. You see, agape love is this deep, caring love that says, you are important to me. 
In fact, you are so important to me, what you need is more important than my convenience, my time. In his community meditation, Mark talked about his mom. And whatever she was doing, if the three kids needed something, it didn't matter. She would drop what she was doing and she would go take care of those kids. That's agape love. I want to do what is best for you because I care about you that much. That's agape love. I put you first. So what you need, what is best for you, that's my priority. And the other thing about agape kind of love is that it's not earned. Phileo, friendship, is sort of earned. I help you, you help me. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. That's phileo love. But agape love goes to a a higher level, a deeper level that says, I am committed to you, I care about you, because you're you. You don't earn agape kind of love. It is given because you matter to that person who loves you. If I receive nothing in return, it doesn't matter. Because I love you with an agape kind of love. That's the kind of love God has for us. That's the kind of love that took Jesus to the cross. Not because we'd been his friend. Not because we were nice to him. Only because he cared so much for me and you. And we needed help being saved from our own sins. And he said, I will put my safety, my life, my comfort in heaven, all of that on hold. I will come to earth and I will take the form of a servant. And I will even become your sacrifice and die on the cross for you. Because you need it. And Jesus said, I'll do that for you. Willingly, voluntarily. And he did. It is the highest example of agape love I can give you. But I think second to agape love of Jesus is agape love of a mother. And the sacrifices she makes, the focus on her children and what they need, her home and what that home needs, whether it's deserved or not, earned or not, whatever, mother's love. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. That kind of love. That's the love that makes all the difference. That's the love that says I'm no longer a clanging symbol. I'm no longer somebody just going through the motions or trying to act spiritual. I have agape love. And that's what makes all the difference in a marriage or a home. Paul explains what this love is. He doesn't take it for granted that everybody gets agape love, this kind of love, and what it looks like. And so in the next section of 1 Corinthians 13, he gets very specific. And I want us to look at his explanation because I think today, as we've said, we use the word love in a lot of different ways. And we need to understand exactly what this kind of love is that makes all the difference. I want to read verses 4 through 7, and then we're going to go back and pick out some of the phrases that Paul uses to talk about them. So what is this love? He begins in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is the love that can build a marriage, can build a family, can change lives. Let's go through and just look at a few of those phrases that Paul talks about. First of all, he says love is patient. And what patience looks like is going to show up later in some of the other phrases that Paul uses. But patience, you see, is about accepting people as being imperfect and loving them anyway. Patience is the love of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Because we're patient with people where they are and helping them move to a better place. But we accept them right where they are. The second thing Paul says is love is kind. I tend to think of that as love is an action verb. Love isn't just a word we say, it's not just a phrase, it's not a song we sing. If that's all love is, it's not agape love. Agape love is translating itself daily into acts of kindness. Because that love is real and I want to show it. I care about you, I want to help you. Whatever that might look like, and it'll be different for every one of us, different for every child. Every husband, every wife. But as we know that person that we love, as we learn about them and where they're at in life, what they're struggling with, what they need, that tells us what we can do as acts of kindness to show them we love them. And so we help. We go out of our way. We make time. We buy that for them. We do that for them. We get up early when they don't want to. We stay up late when they don't. Whatever that might be, we're looking for a way to do acts of kindness to show that love, make it real. The next three I want to put together, look, Paul says real love doesn't envy, doesn't boast, is not proud. You see, agape love says it's not about me. And we all know that's a pretty rare statement anymore today, isn't it? Our culture encourages us, oh, it should be about you. And we all feel, we all have that desire, I want it to be about me. That's part of human nature. And it resonates. But agape love says, no, it's not about me. I'll put me back here. Because I, I'm not about being proud about me, boasting about me, or envying about you. I care about you. You're important to me. How can I help? What do you need? What's for your convenience, your comfort, your desires? One of the other things Paul says is love does not dishonor. It doesn't tear down. And we need to hear that. Too often in our own insecurities, we can be guilty of tearing others down and in some kind of way to build ourselves up. But real love doesn't do that. Because 
you are important to me, I always try to build you up in agape love. I try to encourage you, to cheer you on, to give you honor. We see that in moms, parents. Give a mom a choice. What would she rather do, be honored herself or watch her kids be honored? Most moms in a heartbeat would say, I want to see my kid be honored. I want to see my kid win. I want to see my kid up front. I want to see my kid whatever. That's agape love. It's not about me and building me up. It's seeing you be honored. Not easily angered. No short fuses. Long fuses. That goes back to that patience word. It's easy to get angry today, isn't it? We live in a world of angry people. I've talked about this in sermons before. Just go drive on the interstate. There's a lot of angry people today. It's very easy to let that anger come into our homes, come into our marriages, come into our families. Agape love says, no, uh-uh. I'm not going to be about anger. I'm going to deal with issues if I need to deal with them. So that I'm not angry. We need to have a conversation. We need to talk about this so that I'm not holding on to this anger. Love says, I don't want to be a person of anger in this home, this marriage. And so I need to deal with whatever, whatever it may be so that anger is not at a, a part of what we are. Directly tied to that, the next thing Paul says, it keeps no record of wrongs. I'll never forget, I think it was in a wedding sermon, I heard somebody say, keep short lists. And I always thought, what a great phrase, keep short lists. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would ask you to think about how many of you have long lists. Whether that's about your marriage or what your kids have done to you. It's easy to have long lists, isn't it? And we keep them because we can go back and recount them. And we do sort of review those lists. When he did that, she did that, didn't do that, didn't do that. When the kids did this, we keep these long lists and we review them. We've got them memorized. They're not on paper, they're in here. But Paul says, agape love, real love, if it's going to be all that it needs to be, has to be a love that says, it's gone, it's over, it's forgotten. How do you do that? I'll tell you how you do that. There's an old story, I hope it's true, it's a preacher's story, so that's suspect. But there's an old illustration, Helen Keller, who was blind and deaf, had to have a traveling companion for her to travel after she became famous. <clears throat> and she was traveling. And the traveling companion said, there's somebody else on this train. Remember her. She's the one who wronged you in that terrible way. And Helen Keller's response was, I distinctly remember forgetting that. I've always remembered that phrase. 
I distinctly remember forgetting that. That's how you keep short lists. We all know the brain doesn't forget. We, every one of us would love to do a reboot on our brains. We can't. What we can do is say, I have chosen to not remember that anymore. It will not affect me anymore. I won't let myself dwell on it anymore. I won't bring it up anymore. I'm moving on. I choose to forget that. That's what agape love does. You may have broken my heart with something you said or did three years ago, but I choose to say it's done. A child may have done the dumbest thing ever. And while you never will forget that night, that moment, you choose to never talk about it once it's dealt with. It's over. You keep short lists. That's what real love does. It always protects. Every one of us would give our left arm to know there's somebody who's always got our back. Good or bad. Tough day, easy day. Next year, two years, ten years, I need to know somebody will have my back. And that's what agape love is. I love you. I will be there for you. I will always protect. I will always stand with you. I will always help you. You can count on me. Do our spouses know that? Do our kids know that? I think one of the tough ones Paul has in this list is real love always trusts. And as we've understood more about human relationships and emotions, that gets a little sticky, doesn't it? What is Paul calling us to do always trust? Well, I think first of all, we can admit that Paul is saying love is big on trust. That we work to trust those we love. We give people the benefit of the doubt. We believe in the best of the other. I don't believe Paul is calling us to be blind or foolish because that would be not honest. It doesn't mean we ignore facts. And there can be challenges that we need to face and we need to deal with those. And always trusting doesn't mean we don't deal with those issues because you see, truthfully, it's only in dealing with those issues that we can have trust. So always trusting doesn't mean we sweep things under the carpet. We ignore the 600-pound gorilla in the room. What it does mean is we deal with those issues and we try to work through them. Whether that is how someone wronged me or they lied to me or cheated on me or whatever that might be. We face the truth. That's part of love as well. But at our core, we want to trust. We want to try and rebuild trust. We, will, we are willing to do the work to try and rebuild trust. Trust is always calling us in true love. We want to trust. It always hopes. Hope is important. We look at the good and not the bad. 
Agape love is glass half full kind of love. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love is not easy. There are challenges in every love relationship, whether that's a home and a family or a marriage. Please accept that. I think sometimes we look at these other people and they're smiling and everything looks beautiful and wonderful. And we say, well, it's easy for them. If we talk to them, probably they would say, no, it's not. We had to persevere. We had to face some tough times. We went through this. We had to go see a counselor about this. We needed to get help here. There was six months or a year that we didn't know if we could do it. But we persevered. We worked at it. This is one of the challenges we face today. Our culture has created an expectation, I should be able to get a pill or take a class and it'll fix it. And while that sounds very appealing, it is not reality. There are lots of things in life that we have to persevere at. We have to work at. And only if we are willing to do that, have difficult conversations, be willing to forgive, keep short lists, rebuild trust, do those kinds of hard work things, that's how you get to a better place. That's how you wake up after 40 years and say, this has been great. That's how you watch children who are now adults and they're healthy, whole people. And when we get to those spots, we forget about all that pain and the sleepless nights and the tears, but they're there. We had to persevere. Paul's honest. He doesn't paint this picture that love is easy. No mom would sit here today and tell you it's easy to be a mom. No couple in a marriage would say it's easy to have that kind of agape love over a long period of time for another human who is a sinner and imperfect, as I'm a sinner and imperfect. But it's worth it. It's worth it for our marriages. It's worth it for our homes, our families, our relationships with our children and our parents. Paul ends 1 Corinthians 13 with that same thing. He says, all this other stuff, if you summarize what Paul ends the whole chapter of 13 about, he says, all that other stuff's going to pass away. There's one thing that will last, and it's agape love. That kind of love is the enduring kind of love that touches people, builds relationships, changes people forever. And that's the love He calls us to have as Christians, as spouses, as families. Because that's the love that lasts. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word because it's honest. It tells us what's true and what works. It doesn't always tell us what we want to hear or what's easy. Agape love changes people, changes lives, changes relationships.
Father, I ask you to help everyone here as they seek to live and show others agape love. I ask you to help the husbands that they might show their wives agape love. I pray for the wives that you would help them show their husbands agape love. And I pray for the mothers here. It's not easy to be a mom today. I pray for each mother here, whatever generation she is, whatever pain she has, whatever struggles, I ask you to help her. Strengthen her. Help her forgive herself for not always being perfect. But help her live with agape love to those around her. And Father, I thank you for the example you have given us in Jesus of what agape love looks like. May he always be our model. I pray this in his name.